Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to this very, very special Doctor Two celebration on SFP Now um, on SciFiPulseRadio.com. Uh, with me here, um, I, I as a panelist, uh, three great friends of mine: um, Raisa, um, who, who's um, one of our, you know, our Doctor Who continuity experts. Uh, we have a uh, Nicholas Chase and patrick hayes so guys welcome to the show um we're just going to be talking about uh 50 years of dot who in a compressed amount of time <laughs> can't complain about that <laughs> no no you know this is basically the show that's bigger on the inside mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um somebody somebody had to say it i'm glad you got it out of the way early yeah <laughs> yeah well, I, you know um Whenever I'm intimate with my girlfriends, I just say it's bigger on the inside. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> so did not need to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. And, and that's all. Uh, okay, um, so um, I've seen a few of the Hartnung adventures, such as um, um, the the, uh, the first Hartnung adventure, an unearthly child. I've seen the Daleks. I've seen Edge of Destruction. Which is a really cool one, actually. Uh, Edge of Destruction. Don't know whether you guys have seen it. Years ago, years ago. So. Well, you know, I think um, Nick, you said you've seen it, right? No, no, I said I have not seen it. Oh, it's well, basically, it's a self-contained uh, two two-part story um, over over fifty minutes. This was the old series format, and they did a few two-parters over the years. And this was sort of like the first one they did. And it's set entirely on board the TARDIS, and something's kind of gone wrong with the TARDIS, and it's kind of like a reset itself. But you know, in in doing so, everybody on the on the TARDIS is has gone a, a little bit mad, and um, are kind of starting to plot against each other. They've all gotten sort of like kind of paranoid, and um, you know, there's one moment in it where um, where, where uh, I think it's Susan, she goes for one of the other TARDIS crew members with a knife. It's quite quite violent and grim. Oh wow! And mm-hmm. the, uh, the the actual uh, the the actual sort of like uh, you know re- resolution of it all was that the uh, TARDIS had actually taken them to the very edge of time in order to sort of like uh, reset itself or something. So it was kind of like the first inclination 
but the TARDIS was self-aware that it had its own intelligence. Mm, yes. In, in, stories in, like that, stories like that are always cool. Whenever you have, you know, a, a bottle show like that where you take all of your main characters and you sort of keep them in their main environment, you know, like a Star Trek show that's set entirely on the Enterprise or whatever, it's always good because you get to really kind of delve into the characters. But it's always, but it's interesting when you take your the characters that you know and you make them act in a way that's totally foreign to it, the way that they are. And what's interesting about that is it's such an early show, yet the characters were well known enough that you could pull that off and have people realize, no, no, they're really not like that normally. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it was like the it was like the third ever Doctor Who story uh, because before that you had Unearthly Child, which was four episodes. Then you had the Daleks, which was uh, six episodes, I believe, and and then that, um, and that that was that was actually the running order. Um, there's actually a, a DVD box out there called Doctor Who Beginnings, and and this is where this is where I first seen Edge of Destruction as part of that box set. And there's a fantastic documentary on on that DVD um, about the creation of Doctor Who and the various uh, stages it went through. Uh, right from its inception, right through to you know the, the beginnings of, of production, it's got interviews with uh, Waris Hussein, uh, Verity Lambert, and and um, all, all the pe- you know pretty much all the people that are involved, as well as archive interviews with the uh, controller of BBC Drama at the time. Mm. So that that's where I first seen it was on the um, was on the Doctor Who Beginnings box set. You know what? I want to. I, I want to just kind of pause for one second and talk about talk about that for a second. We we all know the names Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, but we don't know anything about them. They don't. They themselves, as the creators of this show, did not sort of gain this kind of cult status of the you know George Lucas or Gene Roddenberry. I mean, you know, Star Trek fans, they, you know, they revere, you know, Gene Roddenberry. And Star Wars fans, they revere George Lucas, or they hate him, either way, or both, you know. <laughs> but, um, but we don't, but it's interesting that Doctor Who, as much as we love the show, and of course we all love the show, or you wouldn't be here, um, it's almost as though, it's almost as though we feel like it sort of sprang into existence on its own <laughs> without being created by anybody. Or, um, or what's, what's interesting is we, we, we revere the current producers of Doctor Who. We, 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 talk, yes. we, talk, we talk about uh, Russell T. Davies and, and Moffat, you know, like they are, you know, forces. Yeah. But we don't, but we don't, but, but with the exception of Barry T. Letts, who began with the third Doctor era, late, late second, third, and third Doctor era, we don't really talk about, you know, classic, classic who producers. Mm, I don't know, I mean, not, not just Barry Letts, I'd say Robert Holmes as well. Oh yes, 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 uh, because, yes. Because you know he yes. wrote quite quite a few of the um, you know edgy you know edgier episodes, and also you, you know you can't not um, amongst that lot not mention Terry Nation, the creator of the Daleks. Right. True. Um, yes. You know true. he he kind of gained gained some of an iconic status. But what I think it was, what I think it is, I think you know things like Star Trek and Star Wars. They, they kind of like exploded worldwide in, in seemingly a really, really short amount of time. Whereas Doctor Who, it seems to have taken its time to, you know, to, to sort of like ingratiate itself in America. Um, 
yeah. and and rest yeah. of the world. It's it's sort of like it's 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 sort of like um been you know kind kind of snuck in under the rug as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, I I suppose so. But I think that's I think that's interesting. That uh yeah I mean it, it's but you and and but is that about is that about about the fact that it came in slowly or is it basically that times are different now. You know, was it that, you know, in 1963, we didn't really, you know, I wasn't around in 63, so I can't say, you know, was it that people didn't really think about that kind of thing the way that we think about it now? I mean, you can't blame it on the Internet because, you know, well, I was going to say you can't blame it on the Internet because the Internet wasn't around when Star Trek was on, but, but Star Trek is almost contemporaneous with this. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you've also got, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, you've also got a lot to thank John Nathan Turner for. Uh, in 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 a sense that it was him that you know truly went out of his way to globalize Doctor Who. I mean, he you know, in the eighties he was uh, he was sort of like the go-to guy uh, to you know to fandom and the media, and he did all the conventions. He reached out to the American audience. He was sort of like Mister Doctor Who. Um, it's just it it's just too bad yeah. that you know. Um, you know, he, he, you know, his his production values all, all the time, and his, you know, his sent, you know, and his ideas are like deteriorated as 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 the longer he sat in the uh, producer's seat. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty true because it was in the '80s. I remember, and I was in junior high at the time. Um, I was aware of Doctor Who, but not many of my friends were. But all of a sudden, you would see appearing in bookstores. Um, Doctor Who magazine was starting to make its way across. I mean, to, to America. And I remember picking up a copy of Doctor Who magazine and ooing and aahing over an episode that I know would, t- would take at least a year to, that I would be able to see. And um, it was just cool seeing, oh my gosh, the Cybermen are back. And my friends would be like, the Cyber Who? Never mind, you don't get it. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. But that was, that was part of the appeal of it, I think. Because I was in the same boat as you. Where it was, it was this cult thing. It's like, well, we have this thing, and you don't know anything about it, and you know, it's special. You know, right. just, you, just, you, you don't, you don't need to know about it. You know, and right. yet at the same time, we were, you know, we, we were like wearing our scarves and you know, <laughs> stuff like that, pointing you know? actual screwdrivers at other children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that, that's one of the issues too. When it was when it was rebranded and re, relaunched in two thousand five, is that the, the folks who had regarded it as a cult classic as you know their special thing, it suddenly went mainstream and it's sort of a double-edged sword because yay it's mainstream but you know not yay it's mainstream. It, you know? Exactly and it's, it's become like Star Trek in a way with original Star Trek and Star Trek the next generation. You yeah, have those yeah. fans going at each other and it's yes. that way now. I have, a, I have a friend at work who can't watch any Who previous the relaunch. If I try to make her watch a, a Tom Baker episode or a Robert Holmes episode, she's oh this is terrible and I go you have no clue how good this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a it's, you know it's kind of funny uh, because uh, as as you guys know um, as recent as late August um, I was in September they announced Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor. And Peter Capaldi um, is so like um, he he's, he is now the same age as William Hartnell. Um, who played the first Doctor, you know, so he's sort of like, it's Doctor Who's gone back to old as opposed to sort of like the young, sprightly, uh, young, young things, things that they've had played him in recent years in David Tennant and Matt Smith, uh, not necessarily Eccleston because I think Eccleston was sort of like 40-something, which, you know. Um, David Tennant was almost 42. 
No, he was, um, I think he was sort of like um, still in his early 30s when he took on the role. Yeah, 30, 33 to 35 yeah. or so, I think. Yeah. Um, like that. Okay. Whereas Matt Smith was like 25 or something when he took it on, or was he 26? Um, but either way, it was sort of like it was quite funny because uh, the day after uh, Pete Capaldi was cast, um, a YouTube video came up, it kind of went viral, and it was of a, um, I think she was a 14-year-old girl oh, yes. somewhere in Britain, <laughs> and she was watching uh, She was watching the announcement on, on, on TV, and as soon as it's Peter Capaldi, um, he sort of comes up and he's sort of like this older guy, she's going, Ooh, Ooh, that's it, that's it, I'm done, I'm done! <laughs> and I just sort of like sat there folding my arms thinking, hmm, she's done. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to admit I got a secret glee out of that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. yes. All right. Well, it's not a secret anymore, but. <laughs> and, that, and what's what's really sad is it really shows how shallow some of the fan base is because first off, sure. some of the old some of the older classic doctors not exactly fuddly. I mean, John <laughs> Pert, John Pertwee wasn't chop liver, <laughs> and and uh, and neither was Peter Davison. Peter Davison was, you know, uh, considered somewhat of a heartthrob in his day. Yeah, and and um, <laughs> not that he's and, ugly now. Sorry, so Peter. He, 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 <laughs> but and then Paul McGann, who's right, still aging quite well, aging like fine wine. Thank you very much. You know, and and Capaldi, while he's not classically handsome, he's certainly got you know the the sort of. Uh, striking thing going on. Yeah, I mean, I that's the right word. Striking. I don't think I don't think Matt Smith is really that much to look at. To be honest, he's sort of like he's very odd looking, but okay, he really. Yeah, he's, oh, he's, he's got. got he's he's like the One Direction of doctors. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have somebody. Oh, go ahead. God, go don't ahead. mention. Don't it's mention like he's him. almost got his Cumber Bitches fan base going with. Him. <laughs> The one direction. Although, although somebody very close to me refers to him as Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's would... kind of insulting Frankenstein, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's the forehead, as far as she's concerned. And no, no, no offense, Matt. I mean, I I don't think he's. I don't think he looks that bad. I just that's what she calls him. I, I think I think he. I think to be honest, uh, given his age and whatnot, um, I, I think he did. He, he, he did do a pretty good job, on, you know, in his run with the scripts he was given. Um, and 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 whatnot, but um, but by the same token, it's time for an older doctor now. I absolutely agree. I, and and let me let me tell you something. I I agree for uh, for a lot of reasons, and I'm going to actually bring us back to your original question: is what do we want to see in the 50th anniversary that has to do with the the early older stuff and the first Doctor? I I would very much like to see the Doctor brought back to. I would like to see us go back to the origins. Let's find out what happened on Gallifrey before he left. You know what? You know what was? You know we, the first Doctor is sort of our our connection to everything that happened post flight from Gallifrey. And I would very much like uh, to sort of come back to that to sort of root the Doctor in in that um, classic era in a completely indisputable way. Yes, and, and here's what I would, and to tie into that, if you go back to the first Doctor, he, whatever happened, he found a glitchy Type 40 TARDIS and ran with a child into a hostile universe. With a child. Why the That's hell? True. Why the hell would he do that on purpose? Even, even if he didn't know everything he needed to know about the universe, he had to know enough 
must understand that you don't just wander around with a young child, if not a baby, in, in, in glitchy TARDIS in, you know, God only knows what. And we know that this is not a self-sufficient man, so what did he do before Susan was old enough to look after him? It's not yeah, like he could take... <clears throat> I'd, I'd love to see that. I would like to know what he did on Gallifrey before he went traipsing off with her. That'd be yes. fantastic. Yes. I, yeah. I think I'm, I think we are going to find a little bit of that out, though, because the uh, the, the, the latest advert is hinting, um, you know, in, 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 in new advert, the new trigger that was launched last Saturday, um, part of what he says is that, you know, um, he, he's, he's, he's wound up having to confront what he's been running away from all this time mm. and that, that's yeah. that song I keep you know and I, I think we're probably going to find out a little bit more about uh, why the doctor ran away yeah one of, for me one of the most useful pieces of uh, retro retcon mythology that Russell T Davies ever came up with was during the reintroduction of the master where he explains that at the age of eight Students at the academy are exposed to the time vortex, and they either get inspired, they run, or they go mad. And if you and if you look at the doctor, he kind of did all three. <laughs> he did. You're right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but you're you're right. I agree with you. I I loved I loved that little piece of of retro history. Um, and and there's so much you know as a writer, there's so much that you can do <laughs> with that. I have my own little pet theories. I do too. Um, I do too. But I'm yeah, but um, uh, yeah, it, it's it, that was that was brilliant. I'm going to agree with you. Um, you know, what did he see, and did it have anything to do with the time war? Yes. Yeah. There's your there's your question. Uh, you know, did he know? what was going to happen based on what he saw you know and if i'm spoiling anybody i apologize i have no idea i will say right up front i have absolutely no idea what's going to happen so if so on november 23rd if i've spoiled it for you i apologize i'm going to be jumping up and down going i was right i was right so um uh, but i do apologize i really don't know if anyone's interested nicholas's home address is the But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to see that. My, my address is 221 Baker Street. <laughs> uh, you know, let me consult my cat, Watson. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm kind of hoping if what we get is perhaps even um, a reintroduction of Gallifrey and just have a return to the galaxy. I mean, we've had the Daleks pop up so many times, so many times after supposedly they've been killed in this time war. It's yeah. about time we see other Time Lords pop back up. Um, the, here's the thing about, from a structural perspective, when Russell T. Davis reintroduced um, the series, it made sense that he'd take Gallifrey out of the equation because he needed to start from scratch and just go piece by piece by piece and slowly reintroduce things. Absolutely. The problem, the problem with that, at the, from the narrative level, for, especially for those of us who actually understood the classic series, is with the time war and everything that happened, the Doctor would, began to see his now gone species and people through rose-colored glasses. Is that a bad One, pun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rose-colored glasses. Yeah. Well, yeah, both. But, but, the, but the advantage of bringing them back is the Doctor is forced to confront the fact that, oh, you suck and I ran for a reason. 
Right. And and that's important because his because his, his motivation was was re was reintroduced and reestablished, and that was very very important in terms of you know a ginormous piece of his motivation. Mm -hmm. So it, it was it was very useful. So I'm I'm hoping that the, the time lords come back more permanently for that reason. Uh, I'm with you there. I think it's time we had the time lords back, and uh, one one of the time lords I'd want to see come back. Who um, is from the 1960s era of Doctor Who, and he, I think he only made two appearances in in the series. I think one of the appearances he made was in the um, was in the really long Dalek story, which kind of wound up getting lost. Thank you, BBC. Yeah, I, think, I think both of his were lost. I think you're talking about the Mad Monk. I'm talking about the Meddling Monk, and uh, no, both his stories weren't lost. Uh, one, one of them is actually still in existence, the uh, first one that, that, mm -hmm. that they did with okay. him. Okay, um, And I've seen it, it's, um, it's a really, you know, it's set in 1066, I think. Right. And um, yeah. he's sort of like trying to meddle with with with, uh, with 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 the advancement of the war by providing one side with weapons and and and, and such. And the doctor sort of like finds out and and uh, puts pay to his uh, scheme by um, ensnaring him in his own TARDIS and making his TARDIS smaller on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. quite it's quite a funny story, it's quite clever the way the doctor defeats him in that they, episode. They, they brought the meddling monk back for some of the Paul McGann adventures that were actually quite dark because his uh, the doctor's great grandson and current companions all ended up dead by the end of it. Mm. Oh, it's very, very dark. They they need to bring the meddling monk back for the uh, T V series, I think, because um, we've already had the master, and to, to be honest, um, I, I didn't like the way the master was portrayed. He was a bit too pantomime. -y. He was a little bit yeah, better in the yeah. second one, but he was too, he was too, too, too out there, too pantomime. They should have left the master as Derek Jacobi. That would have rocked. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defend John Sim here for a minute because I thought that John Sim himself was amazing as the master. Oh God, yes. Performance-wise, rocket. Yeah, the performance was amazing when the writing and the direction didn't make him too uh, cartoony. Yeah. Right. Uh, when when he was just being crazy and evil, he was glorious. Yeah. And um and I would I would love to I would love to have him back um the way we saw him in you know say Last of the Time Lords and not. Yeah. The, the way we had him, you know, in End of Time, uh, right. the whole master race thing just wanted to make me open, make made me want to open a vein. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> oh God. God, how can you have? I mean, well, we'll talk about that in the second half. But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I almost went off on a tangent. But I'm glad I made I let you talk first, right? You said because I was going to say exactly the opposite, but you've convinced me. <laughs> yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah, script level problems only. That was the problem. Another, yeah. um, another person. Um, there was, we published an art. We posted an article on Sci-Fi Post on that recently, um, as in a couple of weeks ago. Um, and apparently, um, I, this made me want to open a vein quite literally. Uh, Kate O'Mara wants to come back as the Rani. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Here's, here's my issue with the Ronnie. It was a writing thing because if you look yes. at the Ronnie, if you if you look at the Ronnie in terms of the narrative, if if you if you go, if you compare it to something like Stargate, the Ronnie was narrative with the TARDIS. Yeah. She was she was the the Mangala of the Time Lords, <laughs> and that would have been thematically very interesting. Actually, they just completely botched it. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. The it was all the writing. It's a great idea for a character. It just wasn't carried. Through. It wasn't followed through at all. That's the problem mm -hmm. with it. And, yeah. and uh, I think I think they kind of played it too 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 much for the cheese factor and the, and the maths by by uh -huh. having Kate O'Mara in shoulder pads, you know, because she was kind of like a she was considered quite glamorous in the eighties. Um, I was going to say, but it was the eighties, you know. You but, can't, you know. We look back on it now and say, oh, you know, look at the shoulder pads. But it was the eighties. Yeah, but, you know, it was perfectly in place at the time. Yeah, but even mm -hmm. at the time, I hated Great. it. <laughs> <laughs> we were all I'm hot in the 80s. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the interesting thing that Kate O'Mara actually said in this interview about wanting to come back was that she thinks it would be a good idea to actually have a few older characters come, come into the storylines of Doctor Who because right now, this instant, you know, um, she doesn't think that older people can relate to it. I'm, I'm going to agree with her. I'm going to agree with her, actually. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I, I, I mean, let's face it, well, like you say, Peter Capaldi is 55 years old, um, which is great. But, you know, uh, you know, it's been, what, almost, what, it's almost 10 years now since, since the show came back. Mm -hmm. When the show came back, you know, all of us who were, uh, you know, who were kids when it was first on, we were younger adults and we kind of fit, we sort of fit that demographic at the time. And now we're still here and the show is not aging with us. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, now we're in our 40s or we're pushing 50 or we're looking and we're going... How how old is Matt Smith? And, and let me just say, I love Matt Smith. I, I I'm not. I don't want to put him down. I think he's a great actor. I really do. Um, yes. But uh, but I think that in a way, she's right. It would be nice to have some older characters. Um, you know, we're we're not all. You know, we're not all young guys and young girls running around. It would be nice to have somebody we could we could identify with. I agree with her. Yeah. I think that's that's partly why Alex Kingston was so effective. That that could very well be, and it might also be why we uh, we we launched onto um, can't think of the name of the actress who played uh, Kate Kate Lethbridge Stewart. Oh, uh, Gemma Redgrave. Yeah. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you very much. Yeah, but I, I think uh, I think that might be part of it. Yeah, it, and it, it'd be nice if we had just older characters from previous episodes before the great reboot. It'd be nice to have a little more solid tie-in. I'm kind of getting old as an older fan, literally and figuratively. <laughs> of seeing little just little reboots here and there or that history didn't happen it'd be nice if it if the chronology of it tied in just a little better mm -hmm. i'm kind of getting yes. tired i'm kind of getting tired of the whole uh the doctor has a companion who's all all gushy and kind of in love with him you know we kind of you know they kind of tried to get away from from that a little bit with olivia with with with, with amy pond but, you know, she was still kind of in love with him, even though she was married and in love with Rory. She was still kind of yeah. in love with the Doctor and in awe. And, you know, I, I just think it'd be great to, um, you know, may, maybe have an older Doctor and eventually have a... Have a um, and, 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 and obviously we've got the new companion now who's on, like, um, and, and she's been pretty good. Um, but I say make her smarter than she is already. So she is actually as smart as the Doctor and his equal. But not infatuated or in awe of him, 
You can't do that. We found out that doesn't work with Liz Shaw. Um, what, actually, about, what about Zoe? Actually, we found out that it did work with Zoe. Yeah, it worked. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to take your word for it because I really didn't see much of Zoe. I saw a bit of Liz Shaw and it was like, uh, she, you need that contrast in a lot of ways. So I'm going to take yeah. your word for it that it worked with Zoe. Yeah, Liz Shaw was the real school marmish, too smart, and she and the doctor didn't need, need to be in the same scene. Zoe was young and smart, and they could feed off each other, and he was glad to be helping her out to solve a problem, whereas in, we didn't get that with Liz. In fact, the new, the new companion in, in that regard is very much like Zoe. Yeah. You know? Yes. I'm, I would also argue that it worked with Nyssa. Yeah, that's true. That's true, but you know what? You had Tegan to offset it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or maybe that's the key. <laughs> and and the, obviously with Zoe, you had Jamie to offset it as well. Yeah, there you yes. go. Maybe that's yeah. the maybe that's the key. So How about a male companion? Yeah. Well, that was Jack. We had Rory. Yeah, and, and Jack. Jack. Oh, Rory, was, Rory was Rory was only there to keep Amy from jumping all over the doctor. Yeah, let's face it. Rory was like the tin dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like Nikki was the tin dog. Yeah, Rory, Rory was, was the... Rory was the tin dog mark too. This is true. I hate to say it. <laughs> I, I hate to be cruel, but you know. But that said, I, I actually did interview Arthur Darville before he became a fully fledged crew member of the TARDIS. Yeah, and, he did. You know, he absolutely killed me. But at the time, the interview that we did with him didn't really, you know, get that many listeners. But as soon as he became a full fledged member of the TARDIS club team, it really saw like uh, got up there in numbers. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, but. Um, yeah, and so like, I, I like Rory, but you know, I kind, I kind of think you know what what we need in in the series is um, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's certainly been a theme pretty much since Tom Baker era. All the Doctor's companions um, have been from the present day time period when they when they've come from Earth. Yes, um, I, and, and yeah, and I think that comes from the notion that that it's really that it's really the companion's journey which right. i think is a, a very which i think is a very interesting way of looking at it that the doctor is sort of it, ironically it makes the doctor almost uh you know the the auxiliary character he's just a really interesting auxiliary character <laughs> but, but yeah. here's here's the thing though if he if the doctor is so powerful and so old that he's effectively a deus ex machina Russell T. Davies did try to actually discuss that thematically. He didn't do it as effectively as he could, but I thought it was interesting that he tried. It's okay to have a deus ex machina character if you actually discuss what that means. And um, that was hit and miss in the rewatch. Mm-hmm. And I think if they're, if they're going to confront that, they need to actually really seriously just confront that or, or make the doctor less, auxiliary, less auxiliary. Yeah, but I want to see. I want to see. I want to see a companion that's from from Earth's past, as opposed to Earth's present. Or maybe, mm. may, maybe do what they did with Zoe and Jamie. Have one from Earth's past and have one from Earth's future. That was that yeah. was a good combo. I gotta say, you know, it was. Yeah. You know, because that, you know, because we we seem to have been since the seventies, uh, namely since. Uh, since since Joe, you know Joe and Liz Shaw and and Sarah Jane Smith, um, all the characters, you know, all, all the human companions at least, because we did have Adric, who wasn't from Earth. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think he was human, but I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we 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 did, we did have, as well. We did have Nister yeah. and Turmo and stuff like that. 
but they 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 were from they were from different planets. Um, but you know, I want to see I want to see a companion from Earth's past as well as one from Earth's future. One of the things I want to say about Sarah Jane, while we're still on the classic series, um, um, we're talking about wanting more classic series continuity in the current series. Uh, Russell T Davies did bring her back, bless his heart, yes. and hers. And she got a yes. spin-off. And so, you know, rest in peace, Liz Layden. It's got to be said, um, she really, 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 really rocked. And she was she was everything we've been discussing in terms of yes. classic series continuity. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. And I was trying not to kind of uh, get... <laughs> I think we all know my opinion on this. Um, I really very, very much would love to see her acknowledged in this uh, in this special well she was acknowledged no. in the um, in the in the in the trailer the first trailer that we saw when I we saw it oh my yes. god yes yeah she, she was she was acknowledged quite a lot in that first trailer and um, you know and, and also at the expense of um, you know of Ace I mean I think Ace was quite an iconic companion as well to Sylvester McCoy's doctor this is true I mean the girl who beats a doll to death with a baseball bat is going to be remembered mm-hmm. um. yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I would have loved to have seen Ace in that trainer and she wasn't she didn't get a lock in because it was Sarah Jane um, but that said I'm happy that Sarah Jane Smith and Liz Snaden had her moment there because it's well yes. deserved yeah. yes. and you know we could still bring Ace back reunited yes. with the Doctor <laughs> yeah, and, that's great true. As well. and what's mm-hmm. more Sophie, o- Sophie Aldred would be quite happy to do it <laughs> yes absolutely and, and at her and, age if she showed up in that jacket and with a baseball bat I would go crazy and I, I will say this a good many of the surviving companions have aged quite nicely Yes, yeah. they've aged a lot better than some of the doctors. No, <laughs> and, and the the fun part is we've got we you know as the special comes along on the twenty third, we've also got um, an adventure in time and space coming along, which is the uh, biopic of the creation of Doctor Who. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward. To that. I, I'm really looking forward to that. But there's a there's, there's actually two guest appearances from the classic series in that. Um, and they're playing different characters, of course. We're going to have William Russell, who played Ian, and we're going to have Karen Ann Ford. Oh. Uh, they, 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 they make guest appearances. I think they've got very small cameo roles in it. Oh, that's still Excellent. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and let me, let me say this. How weird is it that David Bradley looks so much like William Hartnell? And how weird is it that Richard Herndall looked so much like William Hartnell? How is it that every 20, 25 years we find someone who looks exactly like the first Doctor? Mm, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's really weird because is it's there, in... Is there something somebody is not telling us? <laughs> um, I ran a story uh, today on the site, actually. Um, you know, this is this this will actually have already started by the time we start, by the time we air this. But there is a massive Doctor Who event going on in Manchester between the 16th and the 30th of November. And on the 17th of November, they're, they're putting on a play. Um, and it's a, basically a theatrical version of an unearthly child. Oh, wow. And the guy in that, oh. the, the guy in that they've got to play the Doctor also kind of looks like William Hartnell. <laughs> so they're all coming out of the woodwork. You know, he's not as he's not as good a nightmare as uh, as as David Bradney or uh, or or, or uh, was it William Her- Herndor? Yeah. But you know, he, he, they they kind of made him up to look like Hartnell. And if 
you know, and Hartnell was not a, an ordinary looking guy. No, no. He, was, he, was just, he was distinctive. He was one of the distinctive ones. Yeah, he was very distinctive looking, and yet every 25, 30 years, somebody pops up looking like Hartnell did in 1963. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th- What's I think. What's wrong with this picture? I think it must take a lot of alcohol and a lot of Big Macs to sort of like get to there. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, you know, what what was it that like Amy Punk or the Doctor, the Raggedy Man? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, you know, like I think Hartnell kind of um, embodies that. Yes. Yes. It's yeah, a reference. Um, but what you know, I think my favorite Doctor of the Sixties, you know, has has to be Troughton. Oh yeah, you know, and I, um, I love Patrick Troughton. Just he's he's he was the first Doctor that really established being serious, and then could turn around real quick and be comedic. He's the one who established the run. The Doctor's run started right there. Yeah, um, just complete tomfoolery that really sucked in. I think that's when the adults started turning turning into watch as well as the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to thank we have to thank Troughton uh, for being for two things. We have to thank him for being the doctor that, is, that established post Hartnell anything because that was all on him, and that was not and that was not a small thing. The other thing we have to thank him for is he's the doctor that, that gave Matt Smith his performance in because it wasn't until Matt Smith saw Troughton that he went aha. That's what I have to do. I, I think I think Troughton, in in many ways, has kind of like been a template for a lot of lot of the doc, lot of the actors that played the Doctor since him. Um, yeah. I think um, I think Colin Baker tried to sort of like take some of the darker elements of Troughton's portrayal mm. um, to to an extent, and um, also Sylvester McCoy, you know, the more playful uh, but also manipulative elements. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and Tom Baker, well, Tom Baker was more onto himself. Well, yeah. Tom, Tom Baker was Tom Baker. There's, no, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I read an, an interview. They did, they did an interview with Tom Baker, and he was talking about all things. And, I'm, and for those who don't know, Ramona number two, Lala Ward, was, was actually Mrs. Tom Baker for about 15 minutes. And when you when you when but you as read, a time lord, it felt like eternity. When you when you when you read the interview with Tom Baker and you see him in interviews, you totally get both the marriage and the divorce because <laughs> because he he is he is an absolute force of nature. And if you if you're not prepared to actually deal with that, it's probably gonna be very difficult on a day to day basis. Oh yeah. And uh, and but he he's awesome. And so you, you totally got the marriage and the divorce. That's like. He's absolutely brilliant, but he's 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 unto himself. Yeah, he's real, really interesting. The um, DVD that came out recently for Terror of the Zygons, there's a great documentary feature on the end of S.H.I.E.L.D., because that was the last of the S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes. Unit, unit they, you mean? Unit, I mean. I'm sorry. Oh, S.H.I.E.L.D., sorry. <laughs> in present day. Um, but they go into great detail, and they have interviews with the writer and the director and some of the actors, and they get interviewed, and then they cut to Tom Baker being interviewed. And it's very interesting, the perspective, because they literally felt they were being pushed out by Baker, who didn't want any more of this unit business. And you go to Baker, and it's a little different story. So I don't know how much Baker's changing the past a little, but it's really interesting to get both sides of what they thought was going on behind the scenes. It's just like that, that marriage. Yeah. What's uh, what's also interesting about Baker is um, a lot of the producers and writers. Um, by the time he went, they, they they were quite happy to let him go. They kind you know, 
Um, I think yeah. I think he was uh, supposedly quite difficult to work with, or became quite difficult to work with as 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 he became more and more of a household name. Yeah, yeah, and I think it kind of shows in his last two seasons. There's a definite edge in the episodes, and it doesn't seem as fun to watch them. There is some great episodes in there. But I think his last two seasons, you can feel it as you're watching it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like, uh, you know, t- talking about Tom Baker here, uh, you know, I've got quite a few favorite favorite serials from Tom Baker era. Uh, Pyramids of Mars, which was on last weekend, oh, is one. Yes. Um, oh. Another one, City of Death. City of yep. Death, Talons of Wen Chang. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome stuff! Awesome yeah, stuff. And, and and Talons of Wen Chang, the uh, the you know Big Finish Audio have done a spin-off series of um, um what what the name of the two detective characters in that now? Uh, um, it was uh, Jago J- and J- J- Jager and Light Lightfoot. Yeah, Jago J- oh, yeah. J- and Lightfoot. You know, so I could. Those are two characters, you know. They they could bring those two characters back in, in their own era. I mean, obviously they'll be old, be much older now, but that both actors that played those roles are still sting around. Mm. You know, they they could they could bring them back for an episode. Um, you know, may, maybe throw them into the midst with the um, with, with 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 Strats and the gang. Oh yes, <laughs> that would that. That was old. That was old. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just love, I love these new characters that have come out recent. You know, over the recent couple of seasons of uh, of Madame Vastra and Straps and. Oh yeah. You know, I think. I, I, I totally disagree. <laughs> oh. Ooh. 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 Okay. Okay. Go for it. Go for I, it. Do, I, I totally disagree. I mean, I like the fact that uh, that there are sort of independent characters that that's, that seem to have an existence separate from the Doctor. I, I think that's a great thing. Um, I, I think, you know, and I don't have anything against Madame Vastra and I don't have anything against Jenny. I just don't like Strax. I, I don't like the fact that they've taken the Santarans and sort of making make, make, made them uh, comical. I don't like the idea of a comical Santaran. It's like you know, it it just doesn't work for me. That's a, that's uh, a valid argument. Um, yeah. it's in, in small in small doses, it's fine. But I, you're right. If they had done a spinoff with that, that said. I do like how the, the fact that they, the reason we don't have any more spinoffs isn't, isn't that they couldn't support them, it's that they don't have the money for them. <laughs> and they literally just don't, they can't finance them at the So I like the fact that they are trying to figure out ways around that within the main series. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that Foster and Jenny and Strox have been given more, more screen time just because that's the only way they can do anything like a spinoff without actually financing a spinoff that they don't have money for. Yeah, well, the, the thing the thing is with, with Strats um, is he died when when he when he was originally bought into it. So you know, ba- basically, this, this is Strats's clone we're getting now. No, 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 it's not. They, you know what? And, and this, and maybe this is where my my dislike of Strax kind of started out. Uh, but they did a webisode where uh, Madame Vastra and Jenny find Strax and. And uh, it turns out he didn't die; he just passed out. Damn it! Oh. And I'm okay. like, "Are you oh, that's kidding right. me?" I remember. Yeah. I remember remembering it now. I, I kind of blanked that out. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> I See? blanked it out. You blanked it out. Okay, if it's at the point where you've blanked it out, somebody's <laughs> written something that should not have happened. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> He's not. He's not Captain Jack, okay? He's not. 
I I think I think basically should bring Torchwood back and have Strats join. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be better than it's got to be better than um that has to be better than Torchwood Miracle Day. Yeah. Oh, anything. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking speaking of of bringing characters back, um, going back to Sarah Jane, when Liz Sladen died, um, it happened so quickly that they didn't have time to deal with it in in, in the show in canon. And but that's actually a good thing because the the um, the the words they put over her final efforts episode basically said, and the and the adventures continue forever. And you kind of got the behind-the-scenes feeling that it was basically all the writers that were ever associated with Doctor Who saying, you can't make us kill Sarah Jane, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> which, you know, so, so you know, you can't have Strax floating around because Sarah Jane's going to be immortal. We're just not, not going to see it. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I've, I've, I actually met uh, Miss Naden um, a couple of times um, in, you know, around about 2000 and I think it was 2006 when she came back to Doctor Who. Yeah. I, I met her, I actually met her twice in 2006 at two different conventions and, um, you know, she was an unbelievingly nice person, you know. Yeah. You kind of, sometimes you go to these things and you're expecting, you know, you know, certain actors to be kind of up themselves. But yeah. she, she's just like Sarah Jane in person. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's what you want to hear. Yes, you um, definitely want to hear that. You you, know, and you get that feeling reading her biography, too. It was brilliant, <laughs> it was brilliant to meet her. I mean, I, I actually, um, I, I actually saw, like, got into the VIP lounge at one of these conventions and had a, had a nice chat with her over, um, over, over chocolate, sort of, like, finger jigs and, um, and, and wine. So, Aww. And um, you know she she was just unbelievably nice, and she was fantastic when it came to sort of like talk, talking to the fans. Loved talking about Doctor Who, and apparently um, another person I met was um, can't remember the actress's name off the top of my head. She played Perry. Oh, Nicola Bryant. Nicola Bryant. Yeah. I met Nicola Bryant, and uh, Nicola Bryant actually uh, told me that everything she learned about you know dealing with Doctor Who fans and and uh, and Doctor Who in general and and about being a companion she learned off off uh, Elizabeth Sladen. Oh, wow. I believe that. I mean she she Elizabeth Sladen and you know and the thing is if you listen to like the commentaries on the DVDs with Liz Sladen you'll you'll hear she really seemed to genuinely care about everybody that she worked with. I mean they'll be talking They'll be talking about, uh, you know, what happened on a particular day, and somebody will say, "Oh, yeah, well, it was raining," and she'll say, "Oh, yeah, it was raining, and uh, we went down to the makeup person, so and so, and we had tea, and we did this with so and so," and she remembered everybody's names, and you know what they wow. did, and who their children were, and you know, oh. she just was she just was like that. She was oh. just. Sort of almost like Sarah Jane times ten. Oh. <laughs> I, um, you know, when it comes to Doctor Who commentaries, uh, the most fun I've had listening to a Doctor Who commentary is when Katie Manning's doing one. I swear to God, she she must be on something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's completely you know some potty. <laughs> Not not in a horrible way, but she's she's so like um, she's really really potty and really you know very very warm and and really funny to Aww. listen to, you know especially you know. But I think I think the one that I listened to uh, recently was one for the uh, for the Green Death right with the giant <laughs> green maggots. 
And when yes. she was talking about leaving the series, um, she she breaks down a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, and and I thought, you know, and and I was sort of like totally sucked in. That I was sort of like breaking down a little bit with her. I was getting getting a bit of a bump in my throat. I thought, what 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 the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think Katie Manning was a brilliant companion. Yes, yeah. and I will say that when they brought uh, Joe back for the um, there was a Sarah Jane Adventures episode uh, storyline where she and Sarah Jane were together. Yes. And death of the Doctor. In death, of, death of the Doctor. And it was it was everything you'd hoped that Joe had been during the classic series. It's like it's like Russell T. Davies figured out how to write her. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, because you did get you did get the feeling in watching the classic series that they didn't quite know what to do with her. Yeah. You know, is, is she sort of like uh, is she sort of like the Doctor's daughter times two, or is she sort of like? Um, you know, you know, because they they always had her asking asking the doctor questions and stuff like that to get all the expositional stuff out of the way, mm-hmm. which is what what the companion was always there for, really. Yes. Um, you know, our, our, our eyes into this world sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, she she seemed to get a lot more of that than any of any of the companions that song like came before or after her. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's because they didn't know how to write her until thirty five years later. <laughs> <laughs> But you know that was oh. um, that was it. That was it, really. Um, should we move on to the new series and our hopes for the future? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. we can do that. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Patrick, as soon as you've got to go in a bit, do you want to sort of like uh, have have your say on this first? Okay. Um, sure. Um, <clears throat> I'm glad for an older doctor. That's one of my Christmas wishes come early. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping to see um, a return to just adventure, self-contained adventures without a long, drawn-out, season-long plot. I, it's been done every season. I'm done with it. started with Bad Wolf. That was fun. It was one season. But then it began to continue every season after. I'm done. I would like self-contained, fun adventures. It can be done. It can work. Um, and I'd like to see um, a, a companion from the past. I mean, it's being done in other shows right now. I mean. You have um, um, older characters appearing, such as um, Grimm, where they're coming back to life from the past. Sleepy Hollow is about Ichabod Crane making commentary on the present. Once Upon a Time has got these fantasy characters coming forward. The time is perfect to have a a companion from the past, as you were saying, Ian, come to the present to make commentary on how we're living today. I'd love to see it. Yeah, Yeah. you know, I kind of agree with you there, because, um, you know, all our politicians and, and the world in general at the moment, um, doesn't quite know what to do with itself. So having people come from the past commenting on how we are today, it, you know, could actually be a good thing thematically. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's a perfect writing device to have a character come in and make commentary and make simple observations where the audience goes, "Oh, duh, they're kind of right, aren't they?" <laughs> yeah. If, you know what? That almost that almost uh, presumes that we would need to have more stories set. In present day, on present day Earth, though. That's true. Well, you can have them in on and um. Well, what they usually do is they go to other planets and they could have adventures there to make commentary on. Well, I mean, the the Star Trek method of writing, for example, <laughs> modern day analogy sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, was... but but to do that, you don't need a character from the past. I tell you, I want to see. Well, the way the Doctor might solve something, I don't know. What I want yeah, to see. I don't know. What I want to see is I want to see a few more stories set entirely on board the TARDIS. I want to see more of the TARDIS and just corridors and more console rooms. I want to see the swimming pool. 
I want to see. Oh, I want to see if there's a living room. I want to see the bedrooms. You know. I want to see the library. I mean, for years. Yeah. We saw the library. We saw the library. Journey to the center of the TARDIS. Yeah, for about twenty seconds, and it was in yeah. such a shit episode. That's true. As well. I'm, yeah, true. And the fact that I blanked it out says everything. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm realizing. I'm realizing you're right. But it was only for like twenty seconds. And I actually, I want to. See, I want to see entire shelves and. And I mean, I, I, and, and because I, he even referenced in um, ten, referenced in uh, the, the Shakespeare episode, uh, he was talking in passing, and he started saying, "You're going to love the final book of Harry Potter," which means he's he had it in his library, you know, for you know centuries before everybody else saw it. And I'm like, I want to see all of the books. It's like the Library of Congress, you know, meets Borges on acid. You know, being <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. That's it. Somebody needs to write somebody needs to write an episode not just set in the TARDIS but set in the library of the TARDIS. Yeah, yes. maybe I'll, maybe I have a new companion or someone stole away and they get lost in the library. Yes. <laughs> and and the books kind of come to life and start di- start directing them but you know you using misdirecting it's, it'd be a good device to actually have an episode where you only have the Doctor in there for a couple of seconds and give the actor that plays the Doctor a bit of a break. Yes, there you go. Yeah. There you go, Stephen Moffat, you should hire us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like that idea. But I, I just want to see more of the TARDIS generally, you know, because we, we used to see other rooms in the TARDIS back in the original series and we see more of the, more of the other rooms in the TARDIS in the original series and we've ever have in the in in the new new incarnation yeah i think they and i think there may be a reason for that because um there was there was a commentary where they talked about how problematic it was that they had all of these rooms in the tardis that you know you had hallways and gardens and you know all that stuff i mean personally i'd love to see the boot cupboard in the tardis but um, they were talking about how uh, it, it kind of it kind of destroyed a lot of the mystery of the TARDIS. So the question is, could you show more of the TARDIS while maintaining that mystery? Sort of, sort of almost in a wet your appetite kind of way. It's like, yeah, here's some more, but in showing you this bit, we're actually showing you that there's even more that you couldn't even imagine. True. Here's my argument for it. Um, going back to Nyssa. Nyssa was, um, long story short for folks who don't know, she was a character who was sort of a, a preview of coming attractions. She was pre-Time War. Um, the Master's machinations ended up destroying her entire solar system, and so she's effectively left alone. The Doctor and the other companions are then essentially her only family. And we see her room on the TARDIS, and seeing a companion's room when that's the context is very important, because that room is now her world, and what does that mean? And they weren't very good at exploring that kind of subtext during the classic series, but just the fact that it was there left fans room to go oh okay she has really lost an entire universe now and it's, it's important it's important let's see that worked for nissa because nissa was in that position you know if you you know if you have a companion for whom that's not the case would it be as effective mm-hmm. probably not Right, a question I want to bring up now while, while Patrick's still here very quickly is um, um, subject to regeneration 
Um, we've seen Romana regenerate at will into various different uh, women in the classic series and, and I think she actually regenerated into a rather alien looking person as well. Um, do you think that we should have a female Doctor Who in future regeneration? Do you, do you think do you think we should have it? Do you think it's going to happen or do you think the Doctor should always be male? I, I think it should only happen if they find the right actress. I don't think it should. Ha- I, I don't think it should happen for the sake of it happening. Um, because because once you have a female doctor, um, or or a doctor who in any way um, goes against what the norm has been, which is basically Caucasian male, even if even if even if it's the black or an Asian doctor is still male, even that much is going to cause a narrative shift, uh, and they're going to have to they're going to have to take into account the narrative before they take into account the casting and everything else. They can't just they can't just do something random. Right. Would it be too gimmicky if the doctor, whichever male doctor it is, were to encounter a future version of himself and it be a female doctor? Would that be too gimmicky? Um it wouldn't be any more gimmicky than River Song was when we first met her. That's because, true. Because when we first meet her, she was River Song, I mean let's 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 face facts here. River Song is the closest we've come to a female doctor. Yes. She mm-hmm. she was specifically written for that reason. The proviso being that she was given a two-year backstory that happened to be the story of her companions, the, the, the parents. Now, it would only work again if it were also tied into the backstory the way River Song was. Otherwise, it would be gimmicky. Okay. She she proves she proves my point basically. Yeah. And, and in that respect, I would I don't think they can go to that well again. No, they you know, can't. I, I I really don't. I remember when I remember when we saw uh, Oswin Oswald, mm-hmm. and um, and I and I thought and you know I re- and if you remember, we were all going. As soon as we realized, you know, that Jenna Coleman's name was, you know, we, we, we were just like, wait, what, what? How, yeah. how can the bit, you know, the bit, you know, and they were like, is he going to meet her later? And he's just, this is out of sequence. And I thought, you know, but we've done that. Which, you know, yeah. you know it, it's sort of like the old Monty Python sketch. Like, we've done them, you know, we, you yeah. don't want to do it again, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so, so um, Nick, what, what do you think? Uh, female doctor, yay or nay? Do you think it's doable? Um, uh, I mean, canon-wise, it's possible. I, the political part of me says, oh, I should be able to handle that, but I just don't. I just can't see it. I am, I am, uh, I'm ashamed to say that. Uh, but I just can't see it. I think. Let me let me put it this way. I think that if it were done right with extraordinary writing. It could be the most incredible, most powerful, amazing piece of television that we have ever seen. Do I think they can pull it off? Sorry, guys, I really don't. Not with some of the... I mean, it's certainly not on a consistent basis. Doctor Who has produced some absolutely outstanding television, and it has also produced some incredible clunkers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, would, and I would be absolutely terrified at at the notion of them attempting to pull that off. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of with Raisa on this one. I think they'd have to find the right kind of actress. And I don't think it should be a young 20 or 30 something no. actress. I think it should be a 40 something actress who's sort of like quite quirky looking, not necessarily um, 
you know obvious she'd be quite quirky looking and maybe have her dressed as a as a bloke with shoulder pads and um, <laughs> you know and and kind of, kind, kind, pads, kind of uh, kind of have have her acting rather blokish in in so yeah. many ways not 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 to the extent of the uh, female starbuck in Battlestar Galactica but more <laughs> you know so, so, so quirky would be afraid of that that, that I think is is exactly what I would be afraid of that it'd be like you know I, I, I just yeah I don't I disagree with you but I don't think that would work yeah but at the same time don't. having having a female doctor going around coming on to every alien that she meets uh, wouldn't work either well oh, just because she's acts female doesn't mean she has to come on to anybody yeah but, <laughs> but I, I'm quite afraid that that's what what she'd be written like if they did a female doctor <laughs> this is what I'm saying I'm afraid of that yeah. go ahead Here's, here's the thing. When David Tennant was making the transition in, in his early days, he talked about the fact that Ten regarded Rose as his imprint. She imprinted on Rose, and Rose determined some of his personality traits. I would love, if they go with a female doctor, I would love if the doctor then kind of retro-imprinted on all of those female companions he's had. And that that was the, the, the payoff for all of the female companions. Because it's all of a sudden, oh, okay, no, I do have a template. It just, it's not me, it's them. Oh, and that's, that's an interesting idea. That's pretty cool. Very interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I might be convinced to get behind that. You know, I'm going to have to leave. Okay well, okay, well, thanks for joining us, Patrick. Um, we're sad to be losing you, but, you know, um, you got to do what you got to do. Yep, okay. See ya. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. And uh, Patrick's just departed in his TARDIS. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so, like, um, I, I'm kind of with you, in a way, uh, Nick, about female doctor. You know, I would, will, I, I would kind of struggle to, uh, you know, to, to accept it. She'd have to be really, really good, and it'd have to be really, really well written for me to take it on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I don't think they can pull it off. I, I you know, I have, I, I have probably more faith in them as writers than is justified, but even I don't think they can do it, and I don't think they should try. I, and, and I and I feel sad saying that because part of me says, you know, anybody should be able to be the doctor, and and, and I I believe that that anybody should be able to be the doctor. They should not be limited to you know white men. Yeah. Yeah. But on a practical level, I I don't think they can do it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings me on to my other point. I kind of think it's a travesty that um, we haven't had a black or Asian or Indian um, or more ethnic doctor by now. Yes. You know, we, we had a great opportunity with mm-hmm. Patterson Joseph who, who wound up not being the uh, guy playing the doctor and, and we got Matt Smith instead. And you know there was there was a couple of, uh, of of black actors in the running this time as well, but unfortunately, um, you know, well, fortunately in this instance, because I, I actually like the selection of Peter Capaldi because I've seen him in other stuff. Yeah. Um, but by the same token, you know, it it just feels like a travesty that it hasn't been done yet. You know, when you've got the likes of Idris Elba playing uh, Heimdall. Um, who was actually an albino and what and described as whiter than white in in four? He's playing like yeah. the Norse god Heimdall. You yeah. Know, why why not a black Doctor Who? 
that's one of my issues too. We're, we're going on and on and on about a female doctor, and I'm like, we haven't even we haven't even dealt with the ethnicity hurdle yet. So I mean, you know, we, we can't, you know, unless you're gonna do both at once, you gotta you gotta do these both. And 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 to be honest, I think the ethnicity hurdles are a lot easier than the uh, than the change in the sex hurdle. Yes, I do too. You know, there's a lot less baggage uh, connected with that. I, I yeah, think. and I think it would be, and I do think it would be a lot easier. I mean, I think I think that people would have a lot less trouble making the jump than you might think. I mean, if you even have trouble picturing him, and you can you can think, well, you probably haven't seen this, but. Um, way back in the 80s, 90s, uh, somewhere, uh, the Lenny Henry show. Yes. They did a yeah. sketch. They did a sketch where, where Lenny Henry played the doctor. And and he was great. I mean, it, it wasn't, obviously, it was not really Doctor Who, but you kind of were able to wrap your head around the idea of Lenny Henry as the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it wasn't that hard. It wasn't no. that hard to do. But then you go ahead and you, you if you then turn it around, and you look at Joanna Lumley as the doctor. Yeah, that was terrible. In Curse of the Fatal Death. I mean, these are both meant to be parodies and comedies and all that. But that was a lot. That was a lot harder to deal with than Lenny Henry. Yeah, yeah I don't know. but I think that's I, I think that was just Joanna Lumley, to be honest. <laughs> no, I love Joanna. I, I love I love Joanna Lumley, but you know, I I I I um I just don't see her as being doctorish. You know, I, I kind of see her more as being being sort of like uh, I don't know, um, in absolutely fabulous. She she's shown um, she's certainly shown a bit of a gift for comedy, but I I, I see her more as Purdy in the in the classic seventies Aven- new Avengers series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and or 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 the the role that I know her from most readily is uh, Sapphire and Sapphire and Steel. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sapphire. Yeah, yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, I mean, but you know, and and maybe it's because they really played up the gender switch angle in uh, Curse of the Fatal Death. You know, I think uh, I think she was making jokes about the fact that she was a girl, um, and maybe that was why it was so jarring. But I don't know; it just seemed a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering when we're going to have a ginger-haired Doctor Who. You know, that, that, that's 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 got to be the next one. You he know. keeps wanting to be ginger. He keeps talking yeah. about. You, keep, you know, I, I think it's basing it that, that I think that's basing a very British thing, as in, you know, there's, there's some weird British there's some weird British fetish for ginger. You know, for, I mean, for redheads and. Uh, I mean, I mean, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote an entire Sherlock Holmes story around it, for God's sake. <laughs> the redheaded lady. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a really weird British thing. I, I don't get it. I mean, you know, we got you know everyone was uh, kind of infatuated with Catherine Tate for a while because she's ginger, mm. you know. And you know, I think it might also be Doctor Who playing with its own continuity as well. Because if, if you think about it, Bonnie Langford, she was ginger, and she was an unmitigated disaster. Um, as a companion, perhaps the Catherine Tate came along and kind of put some of that right. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> although that said, I'm not really all that fond of Catherine Tate, to be honest. <laughs> no, but I thought I thought she 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 was far more credible as a companion than 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 um, than, than Bonnie Langford was, who seemed to be an expert in computers and never actually did any computer hacking. And was in, yeah. and, and was on like obsessed with um, putting the doctor on some sort of weird flipping fitness regime. Yeah. And, and yeah. every time she bumped into a to a monster or something, she'd scream and she'd be absolutely useless. <laughs> yeah, I uh, not not my favorite. But then yeah, there there were there were problems all around. But yeah, 
Again, not Bonnie Langford's fault, though. But no. Bad, bad, bad writing. Yeah. That was just the era of bad Doctor Who writing. I have to say, one of the things, um, one of the things I've noticed about Doctor Who, and maybe that part of this is that because it's run for so long and has so many different writers and so many different directors and so many different everything's, is that it's kind of bipolar. It's either really, really brilliant, or they just kind of went over a cliff. There was very little. There was very little in the middle. <laughs> That's it. You're right. It, there is there is very little mediocre Doctor Who. It's either really good or really bad. <laughs> or or in the case of Russell T Davies, both in the same both in the same episode. <laughs> both in the same episode. In fact, this is what we were talking about earlier that I didn't want to derail the conversation. You look at End of Time. Mm-hmm. You get. David Tennant giving this incredible speech about what happened at the end of the Time War, and you know, and then you know, the, the wannabe king and his army of you know never wars and all that, and you get this brilliant speech and this you know his, his speech to Wil- you know to Wilf about you know I could have done so much more. You get all that stuff, and at the same time you have the Master Race. Oh, what the. What the heck was he smoking when he wrote that? Um, what you, is wrong with you? I tell you what was really funny about about, about that episode is a, is a bit at the beginning where the where, where the two you know the two people that the master sees off at the beginning are in a junkyard and uh, they they sort of near near a burger van and they're watching uh, they're they're gearing up for Obama President Obama's speech on the television. Mm-hmm. Uh, which right away is going to date the episode when Obama's out of office um, <laughs> yeah. in a couple of years' time. But um, what was quite funny about it is I was talking to a fan on uh, on Blog Talk Radio um, at the time, shortly after that aired, and you know, and this guy was a you know staunch Republican, Republican you know, so but he kind of took issue with Obama being in the episode and thought, well, you know, so like if George W. Bush was in power, he'd probably be in the episode, which isn't necessarily true because it's well known fact that Russell T. Davis is a, is very much a staunch lefty. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's so like, um, it's kind of funny how someone would just take issue with, with the US president being in the episode, whereas I think the reason that was probably done was more um, to sort of like um, you know make dot who a little bit more accessible to people in the US by, by yes. having having a real life you know US president in there. Yeah, yeah. You know? my my favorite example of of the bipolar writing was um, Journey's End, where you have all of that great character realization between the Doctor and Davros, and these um, these brilliant performances from both actors. And at the end, the, the Earth is being tugged home by the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he giveth and he taketh away. <laughs> but one good- it, it's like he has only so much quality that he can put into one episode, and he can either spread it all out or he can lump it together. And there's bare spots elsewhere. I think I think the problem was, um, and this is being addressed somewhat. Um, and this is what I think um, Moffat gets criticised for, is Russell T. Davis, he's a good writer when it comes to characterizations and stuff like that, but he's not really a sci-fi writer. And Moffat is more, you know, he knows how to write a good science fiction story. Yes. And that's, and that, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair criticism. And at the same time, I don't think his characterizations are as good. Mm-hmm. True, and, and yeah. I also think about, with you know, one of the reasons that Moffat has come under fire a lot by, by uh, a lot of the mainstream folk is because 
you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the episodes he's writing are actually going over the heads of of, of a lot of people um, who maybe watch Doctor Who once on a Saturday, where you know you've got us fans here that maybe watch uh, episodes two, maybe three, four, five times. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are episodes that Moffat has put together, uh, like uh, uh, the Big Bang and Pandora opens, where I, I, look, I love a good complicated complicated plot. I love a good nonlinear plot. I do. I really do. I love them. I write them. I adore them. But you ask me what the hell, what the heck happened? I have no idea. To this day, I still don't know what happened. <laughs> I watched it twice. I'm looking, going. I I don't know. <laughs> I just I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I I've got I've got it on um, I've got it all on box set with the exception of the final season that 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 finished airing uh, and um, you know I've been I've been trying to get the wing up to uh, you know just go through a marathon the whole lot from Christopher Eccleston right through. Oh wow! But it's just having That's... it's just finding the time at the moment to do that. <laughs> It need, I think, a week. I I need, um, you know, with my with my schedule in terms of the updating of the website and um, all the other stuff that I've got going on. As you know, Nick, I've got quite a lot. Um, yeah. In 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 development, I'd probably need I'd probably need uh, about twenty four years. <laughs> <laughs> and and that that that'd be sort of like. Uh, you know, several episodes marathoned over a week for 24 years. <laughs> it's God, just better been... than trying to start by, you know, start with William Hartnell and yeah. watch it all the way through. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, I've got, I've got a friend who, who's done that. He's watched every single classic episode all the way through. You know, he even, you know, listened to the audios. I think Raiz has done that, haven't you? Uh, no, I don't, I don't have them all. I don't have the time or the space or the money. <laughs> <laughs> a, fr- a friend of mine did it and it took him about two or three years and and he was just doing it in his downtime you know when he had time to do it but it took him about two or three years to you know seriously do it mm-hmm. wow. and and it was him that told me about the meddling monk you know he says you've got to check out the series of you know with the meddling monk and stuff like that but yeah that's that's my wish for the new series um i want to see the meddling monk come back and the time yeah. lords come back I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out about John Hurt's Doctor. There was an interview that, um, that Moffat gave where he said, if you go back to your DVDs, you've miscounted, you've missed one. I'm wondering if John Hurt's going to be the Valyard. Uh, you, know, you know what? I, I, don't know, I don't know if John Hurt's going to be the Valyard. I, I subscribe to the theory that John Hurt's Doctor comes between uh, eight and, and <coughs> what we consider nine. Um, and and it would be a handy way to fix a continuity error, which of course would be um, when uh, when David Tennant's doctor sees Sarah Jane, and she says you've regenerated, and he says oh half a dozen times since I saw you last, and I remember when that aired, I thought no, it's only been five because she had seen his fifth incarnation, and I and so I think and so I think it would be a very handy way to fix that continuity error because in this case it would be an extra regeneration that we didn't know about <laughs> so he'd have been telling the truth yeah he really had regenerated six times but what i want to know is if he does turn out to be sort of you know in between mcgann and, and eggleston what happens to all of our conversations about the ninth doctor and the tenth doctor and the eleventh doctor mm. because now they'll all be wrong the problem is if he's the valiard um it, it would be how to do it without 
loading in too much exposition because the non-classic fans are not going to be happy with exposition. Mm -hmm. That's that's very true. And I, but I think I think you only need to. I don't think you need to do that much exposition uh, unless you're really going to try and give the backstory of where we've seen the Valyard before. I mean, if you come in and you just say. Uh, you know, this is the Valyard. Well, who is he? Well, he's, uh, you know, he's the, the lifetime that comes after my last regeneration. Oh, my God, you know, you might be right, and here's, here's why. If there's an extra regeneration in there, it means Capaldi isn't 12. That's right. He's 13. <laughs> oh, my God, Pic Capaldi would be the Valyard. <laughs> he's 13. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that would be true, wouldn't it? Because the Vanyard was sort of like, the, you know, when he, when he was originally introduced, he was sort of like the, um, he, was, he, was, he was introduced as the final regeneration of the Doctor that's right. gone wrong. Yeah, that's right. He would be the Valyard, which would be, which would be interesting, which would be fascinating. The question is, how could they pull it off? From a uh, from a continuity standpoint, because I mean, you know, we know where what happened with the Valyard and all that. Um, but I, I think I think that one of the things they're going to need to do is, unfortunately, uh, they're going to need to find a please God let it be credible way to uh, get around the the twelve regeneration limit. I think that might be part of why he's doing what he's doing, because if there's an extra doctor. That automatically ups it up to 13, forcing narratively the discussion of that process. That could be, or, or, and again, all of you people who don't want spoilers, I am just theorizing here, I'm very sorry if I turn out to be right, or maybe the doctor did something in that, re but the big question is, what did John Hurt's doctor do that was so terrible that the, that his subsequent regenerations wanted to forget that he existed. And remember, these are guys who had no problem, well, not that they had no problem, who admitted and remembered that they destroyed their entire planet. So this guy would have had to do something worse than that. And if they do something worse than that, I'm going to be really pissed off because that will be anticlimactic. But the thing is, what if, what if, what he had done was he had done something that gave him, you know, sort of did some kind of black magic something that yeah. gave him more regenerations or that eliminated that 12 regeneration limit. Because, you know, in, in Sarah Jane Adventures, they threw out they threw out there the fact that they were not going to honor that when, when Clyde asked him, you know, how many times can you change his diet? He said like 528, something like that. I forget what the number was. But um, uh, he didn't what? use the number. He said he, as many times as he wants. No, no, no. He did. It was, did. It was, it was a number, but uh, I will raise you, Sarah Jane, and I will raise you Morbius. Brain of Morbius. Brain of Morbius, okay. I call. Uh, Morbius and the Fourth Doctor are doing a mind meld, mind game, death, mind meld to the death yes. thing. Right. And, Mor and Morbius is taking the Doctor through his regenerations. Yeah, and, and, it was and that there are more that we saw. Yeah, and there are there are more of them. And I think I read in an article that initially one of the reasons that the uh, the Watcher was brought in for the transition between Doctor Four and Doctor Five was that they wanted to, but originally dumped it. They wanted to have four B twelve or thirteen. <laughs> Wow, that, now that would have been cool. And that, and that the Watcher was a reboot, so that I five was actually the start of a new cycle. I tell you what I really want to see, and this is something, this is really, really small, but it was really, really a big deal back in back in the classic series. 
Yeah. Is for the last for the last um, few you know during classic se- during the new series, whenever the Doctor's regenerated, it's been very quick with that big spl- big big flashy red song sort of like mighty special effects and. I, I want to see the Doctor regenerate differently. I want to see in future incarnations of the Doctor regenerate in different ways using different effects as opposed to using the same stock effect all the time. Yes, I would love that. Because that, that to me, kind of like uh, the way Baker regenerated into Davison defined the, the end of that era. Yes. Sort, sort of thing. And it's so like, um, it just seems to me like um, whenever the Doctor regenerates now in, in the um, in the Revive series, it's kind of like a stuck needle. Yes. Well, you know, I, I kind of I kind of had this theory, well, not a theory, but, you know, sort of a, a you know, a justification for why it went from this quiet little morph thing to, you know, blowing out the TARDIS with energy. Um, you know, I kind of thought it was it's sort of like, remember in Highlander and the Quickening, where, you know, the fewer immortals there were left, the more energy there was when, when the Quickening happened? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I figure, you know, if he's the only Time Lord left, you know, he's got all that Time Lord energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I mean, so so that and that's the big question. What did John Hurt's doctor do that was so terrible? I mean, so there's so there's that so there's that possibility that he did something terrible that gave him all these regenerations. Um, there's um, I, I have I have another theory that uh, maybe he's the one who brought back Rassilon, and we saw how much trouble that caused. Oh, Ooh. that would work. That would work. Yeah, I mean, he was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to end the war. I mean, you heard him saying, you know, what I did, I did in the name of, you know, peace and sanity. But obviously that didn't work out. You know, um, you know, there's I, I have I you know, there's there's another I have another theory. And this one this one actually I did just write in a fan fiction. But, um, you know, the doctor was never an aggressor before. Not really. You know, for the most part, he was not really an aggressor in the old series. Mm, for actually, the most part. For the most know? for the most part, maybe. But if you remember the very, very first uh, serial, uh, An Unearthly Child, there's a part where the doctor is going to smash a rock over some 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 caveman's head. Right. Um, yeah. You know? No, I, I agree. I agree, but in general, he was not really an aggressor, um, and and I, you know, and I think in that respect, it's a matter of, uh, you know, they hadn't really kind of developed the character yet, and then something happened where he became probably during the war, he became the predator, you know, the oncoming storm, you know, all this. He went from so I mean one I. I one possibility is he was this defensive man. He was he was probably playing defense in the war, and then at some point he went on the offensive, and that changed him. He became a different person, and I I think he could very easily be ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. That said, whatever whatever happens, I want a storyline that at some point gives Paul McGann his due as eight. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna yeah. agree with you. I agree. I agree there because you know I I'd like to see Paul McGann back on the screen as the Doctor, even if it's just even if it's just for one episode. Because those those audios he did prove that he would have owned it forever if they'd actually just given him the time and the scripts and treated him you know like less than cardboard. Yeah. And- Mm-hmm. And he was really the victim of bad writing. Yeah. Oh God. Oh and God. He, he was. He was fantastic, though. In 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 the um, in the movie, I really liked him right away. You know. Yeah. The, 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 
performance was awesome. You know, um, it's just yeah. the... him. Him, yes. The script, no. When they when they re-aired the movie recently as part of the month monthly Doctor Who retrospective leading up to things on BBC America, I watched the um, the documentary proceeding, but I couldn't bring myself to actually watch the movie. But I could tell from the just from the documentary and the clips that his performance was as as cool as I remembered. Yeah. And well, yeah. well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be seeing that documentary in a couple of weeks' time because I've been airing all those on a watch here in the UK over the last couple of weeks. Cool. So yeah, it was the documentary. The documentary was very good, and and I agreed. And I was laughing my butt off because uh, Stephen Moffat was was uh, giving the documentary, and he was talking about uh, the one thing that that ticked off so many people here, which was the kiss. Yeah. That was the least and, of it. It turned out. Yeah, that was the least of it. It turned out, but he was like, he was like, you know, and and uh, all these people were really mad. He says, and I thought it was great. And I'm sitting here and thinking, well, that explains a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the one thing that ticked me off was the uh, doctor getting on, but getting on a, a police motorcycle with Daphne Ashbrook uh, behind him. Um, I, I just saw, like, set, setting the Doctor Who in America and trying to turn it into an action show in, in that regard just, you know, didn't really work for me. But that said... Uh-huh. They, they, did, they did that a lot with the new series, though. There's but, the, the companions constantly getting on the back of some bike with him now. Yeah, but that, that said, it, you know, it, it's strange how how, how, how how that sort of thing came come, come full circle with the new series because we've had, the two, you've had two instances so far involving a motorbike including an instance in the last series uh, where where the doctor you know goes into the TARDIS into the garage in the TARDIS and um, with his companion in tow and rides out on a motorcycle and proceeds to ride up the side of a bloody building yes yep <laughs> so, the shard gotta love it yeah yes I thought that was actually pretty cool but, <laughs> but had I seen that in 1996 I think I would have objected <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> The, and the funny thing is, I never that never even occurred to me at the time. You know, the, never even dawned on me at the time. But I love my guy. I love the TARDIS. I loved what they did with the TARDIS in oh, the. Oh, the TARDIS was beautiful. It was you know, beautiful. He even he even had a colony of bats in there. I thought I'm, yeah. the, the goth in me, my my inner goth was so happy. I, I just love, I loved the fact that he was he was so like sat in an old rocking chair. Um, and he had a, he had um, some sort of like jazz playing on the gramophone, and you know that that whole 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 thing, and in the gothic color scheme and stuff like that, it kind of put me in mind of the uh, second Tardis console room a little bit um, yes. that Tom Baker had, but you know yes. kind of expanded on that, and mm-hmm. I loved it, and I. I one of the things I was kind of disappointed in when they bought the series back in 2005 was that they didn't keep keep to that sort of like setup because I thought that was beautiful. Yes, it was. You know? I didn't, I didn't uh, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, boy, you're constantly talking about what you don't like. Uh, but, but I didn't, what I didn't like about that was it was almost like it turned the TARDIS into a studio apartment. It was like everything was in the console room. Mm. You know, the table was there, and the chair was there, and the bookshelves were there, and the statues were there, and you know, you, you almost expected a formal dining room, and you know, the swimming pool, and you know, it's just like the, the console is room is, is the console room should be just the console room. I don't whine all the time. I really don't. It, we just happen to be <laughs> getting other things that annoy me. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I I think what was interesting about that 
console room was it was the biggest change in in uh, sort of design that we had seen. The console room had always been this sort of white to some extent. Uh, you know, you got the roundels and, you know, it was always very plain and white. And, uh, and this was like the anti-console room at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very dark and, you know, there was candle wax everywhere and you know and all that yes i did just watch it recently (laughs) you know know, and 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 the chair was this sumptuous red velvet you know or leather or whatever it was but you know it was it was just the opposite of anything that we had ever seen and and i think that might have been jarring for a lot of people too because it was like yeah okay we've got sylvester mccoy but he's about the only thing we recognize Mm. you know they changed the logo they changed the theme music they changed the tardis you know it's like what what is there really for us to hang on to here? And, and here's the other thing coming full circle. We complained about the plot and the master. It, it yeah. Kind of, if you, it, it kind of ties into the insanity of some of the John Sim storylines. Because if, yeah. you, if, if you look at John Sim and you look at... Uh, um, oh, I just blanked on his say name. Eric Roberts. I'm Eric say Roberts. Eric. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you look at the narratives, they were very similar. So it's, it's like they 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 kept a lot of stuff. It turns out that's true. <laughs> I guess I guess we just weren't ready for it in 1996. No, I think it just was. I think in a lot of ways you were right, Ian, that there was a lot of complaining about it, pandering to the American audience. And I think the American audience was just as ticked off about that as you guys were. One of the things that we liked about Doctor Who is that it was British. Yes, that was the point. It really, really yeah. was the point. Right. So to take it and Americanize it, it was like, what? What? Yeah. You know, that's one of the, th- you know, I-, I think uh, I think they made the same mistake when they did Miracle Day. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. You know, not not to, not to right mention now, but... the uh, the other guy that they made a mortal in Miracle Guy. Uh, oh no! Please don't even. Oh, Mi- yes. Mister oh. Charisma. What what was oh, the name, Mister Charisma? The guy Pfeiffer. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. yeah. The guy oh, can't God. act. You know what? The the show, Miracle Day was disturbing, but okay until the last thirty seconds when they did that, and then it became a travesty. Yes. Um, and what's interesting is um, I I just read uh, John Barrowman. Uh, John Barrowman and his sister wrote a book called The Exodus Code, uh, which picks up pretty shortly after Miracle Day. I'm gonna have to get um, that. And, uh, I think it's on Audible, isn't it? Uh, it may be. It may be. Um, it, but here here's the funny part. Uh, it picks up just about after that, and uh, Rex Matheson is in it uh, for about three pages. They never mentioned anything about what happened. They never mentioned anything about him being immortal. Nothing. It's like it's like it's almost like John and Carol Bowman were like, "Yeah, we're we're gonna just pretend that didn't happen." Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of like the rest of us were like, "Let's pretend that didn't happen." <laughs> oh, oh my God! Uh, again, uh. I just want to. Mac Russell Davies upside the head again. What were you thinking? Well, I think I think a, a big problem with Miracle Day was initially Russell Davies wrote it as a five-part serial for AMC. Was it was it was Stars, Star. wasn't it? Stars wanted a 10, 10 episode run. I um, think the, the five episode version would have rocked. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, we'll I, never see it. Yeah. You know what? I, I think it might have, but I think that the big problem with Miracle Day is it was basically Children of Earth all over again. Mm-hmm. You know, it was you know what would you do if uh, you know if you had to sacrifice some people to save the rest? Mm-hmm. It True. was it was it was the same it was the same story. 
And and that was actually, and when they did Children of Earth, what I said at the time was, he's really made a problem for himself, because where do you go from here? You can't I, go back to Monster of the Week stories. Here's here's the thing that I, I really appreciate about Children of Earth, and this is going back, applying to, back to Doctor Who. The Gallifreyans were um, an essentially immortal race. But in order to become that, they didn't start that, in order to become that, they obviously had to go through the growing pains that we saw in Marigold Day. Mm-hmm. So if they had tied it back to Doctor Who with you know slightly toned down writing but the same themes, it would have been useful in that the Doctor would have, would have had to then say, yes, we went through this, and when we came out the other side, we were not the same people, and you won't you, be either. Right, he said that would have been brilliant. And they wouldn't even have had to have bring, brought the Doctor in yeah. because because you have Jack. Yes. Jack, who knows all about the Time Lords, who could have made that very speech. That was, That's really good. Yes. That yeah. is really good. You're right. Better still, you, you needn't have had him make that speech. You could have had the audience thinking by have, just having the TARDIS materialize out of the blue and having John Barrowman go in and then it dematerialize. End of episode. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I appreciate the fact that they didn't have the TARDIS in Torchwood. I like, you know, I, I actually, strangely enough, I like the fact that the two are separate in in some ways you know i think it's okay to bring the torchwood people over to doctor who as we've done on multiple occasions but i i think i would be very uncomfortable if the doctor ever showed up on torchwood mm. even the way even yeah go ahead just real, real quick just to get this out of the way the, the torchwood radio episodes they had an assortment of radio episodes actually tied up classic torchwood prior to uh prior to miracle day mm-hmm. in case you didn't know yes I did not know that. I gotta go back and listen to this. The, the rift is actually closed. Uh, he encounters through some alien bibbidi bobbidi boo the ghost of Yanto. They have closure. <laughs> Stuff happens. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, I, I have to go back and hear that. I just thought, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was so funny, the uh, the outcry when Yanto died in, in Children of Earth. I just saw, I was just laughing my ass off. I thought that was just really, really funny. They killed Yanto, how dare they? Here's, here's the thing. I would have I would have had an easier time with that storyline. That wasn't what bugged me. What bugged me was the death of of, of Jack's grandchild. That that's what got so many people, yeah. And I and I and I would have had a hard time with that thinking of, of Susan, but if you if you go to into the um the 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 um big finish audios, they actually kill off the doctor's great grandson in a return to the Dalek storyline. And they become full circle on his great grandson and several of his companions end up dead. And Carolyn Ford came back to reprise the role of Susan in the audio, and it was oh, wow. freaky. It was freaky, emotional, and just like straight up Greek tragedy time. I'm sure that was great, but they didn't have the Doctor kill it. Not, no, they didn't. I think that was. I mean, that was really that was really the thing. I think it wasn't so much that Jack's grandchild died, and I think that everybody would have ex- not only accepted it but embraced it in a lot of ways because. Oh my goodness, what John Barrowman could have done with that. Yes. It was the fact that they had Jack kill his own grandson. That was the that was the, the thing that I think people just couldn't wrap their head around. And I think John Barrowman himself deals with it quite um, quite eloquently uh, in interviews and at panels. I'm sh- he gets asked about it, I'm sure, at every panel that he does. Um, uh, you know, but... 
that that I think is the part that that people that people have difficulty with. And and he says he says you know look the story was about what would you do? Would you sacrifice one of your loved ones to save the world? And it's especially poignant when you, when you consider that this is Jack. This is his grandson. He is immortal. He's lived for like 2,000 years by this point in the timeline. This is his grandson. His daughter's estranged. He's got no choice but to actually kill one of the few pieces of continuity he's got. And his choices are watch this person die of old age in front of him or kill him to save an entire planet. Yeah, I think it also reaffirms that Jack, you know, isn't a very nice man. He doesn't, he doesn't start out as a very nice man and he isn't a very nice man. It kind of goes back to that. He, he's he's a character that's very much on own in the world. Yes, yeah. To, to the point where even the doctor, who can understand some of what Jack goes through, can't always relate to him. Mm. He can't. Because um, I, I think the doctor is... Even with some of the dark, even with some of the darker stuff he does, um, a fundamentally nicer creature than Jack is. I, I want Jack to be back on Dot Two. I just want yeah, to see, I, you know, I, I just want to see Jack go back on Dot Two, because you know the the last episode he was in was with Tennant, and I thought you know the early episodes where 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 they were sort of like you know comparing. Uh, you know, time travel devices and, you know, like, like a couple of guys would argue about cars was just so funny. I, yeah, and I, and, and I missed an opportunity with Sarah Jane too, because when, when we first meet Jack, he rags on the doctor for having a sonic screwdriver. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I wanted Jack to interact with Sarah Jane and actually get to a point where he ends up defending the sonic lipstick. <laughs> I, I wanted him to do it. <laughs> because it was. It was just. It seemed like thematically necessary to me to have him come full circle that way, and it never happened. But that that'd be quite interesting, you know. You know, me, moving forward, because um, we've not got much time left now. Um, I think Capaldi is a really interesting choice. I mean, um, if if any of you guys can actually get hold of it. Uh, try and get hold of a BBC series called The Thick of It. Yes, I've seen some clips of it, and it, <laughs> it looks it looks like a lot of fun. Even, even more quickly, um, Neverwhere, which is a Neil Gaiman series, which has gone several, through several different versions. The original version, um, Capaldi played the baddie in it, and Gaiman, Gaiman wrote the part largely for him, their friends. And uh, so it, it says a lot. Gaiman could also write for Capaldi, but if you if you watch Neverwhere, which is available through iTunes, the original version with Capaldi in, in the role of Angel, the Angel Islington, you will see, I think, to a certain extent, enough doctorishness in the the otherworldly nature of the character to, I think, justify his casting right there. Let me let me say something um, about about that and doctorishness and and all that. I am hoping, I am hoping that we don't have the same problem that we had with uh, Colin Baker. Because what they're saying is that they're going to make him more a more difficult doctor. They're going to make him less accessible and, you know, more more difficult and a little scary and all that. And presumably warm him up as time goes on. And the thing is, that was the plan for Colin Baker, too. True. And and it never happened because they did not he did not have enough time to do that. And I am I I fear (laughs) 
I fear that we're going to have the same problem, that they're going to do that and people are not going to understand what they're doing. They've got, if they're going to do it, please, please, please give at least some hints that the softer doctor is under there mm. to give people hope so that they don't freak out the way that they did over Colin Baker. Because um, that's a man who got a raw deal. And also, yeah. don't put him in a pink jacket with yellow polka dots or something <laughs> eating his garish. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're over that. <laughs> Capaldi's going shopping for the costume now, so I'm going to be curious to see what he what he and the costume designers come up with. Well, he's described it. Uh, he's described what he's been trying as a suit, but not a suit. So you know that 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 song leaves 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 us uh, open to a lot of interpretation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just saw a picture today. I think it was Tom Hiddleston in. Uh, it was a blue suit. It was a traditional blue suit with a white shirt, but where the pocket would be on the left was mm-hmm. the uh, police call box sign that you know the, the you know uh, the sign that's on the door of the TARDIS mm-hmm. oh my god okay. <laughs> it's hilarious he, he dressed as the TARDIS it was great there are, there are enough there are enough women who are doing that at conventions now so why not the guys <laughs> I know exactly it was a TARDIS suit we've seen TARDIS dresses this was a TARDIS suit mm-hmm. yeah. I tell you what really is scary is those those police car boxes were still around when I was a kid in the 70s. I, I've, actually, I've actually been up close and personal to an actual police car box. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the t- time the new series came around, they had to explain to Rose what they were. Yes. He's like, yeah. what? She's like, what is this thing? He's like, oh, they used to be everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, the one, the one thing that I, um, you know, at the... With with the um, they actually experimented with this with with uh, Colin Baker's area that you know basically the car box the reason this car box is because um, he used to be able to change form into whatever to fit into the scenery of wherever it landed you know mm-hmm. due to this um, due to this magical device in the TARDIS which is apparently broken in one episode I think Colin Baker's doctor tried to fix it. And turned it into a church organ or an or an armoire or something. It was a, it was, it was a church organ, yeah. It was, it was a church organ. It was yeah. it, it was actually rather impressively done. The, the editing to make it look like the the entrance would be somewhere logical still. Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of torn. You know, at times I I wonder. You know, would it be a good move to actually have you know ha- have the TARDIS change into something else? No. Not permanent. Not, not permanently. I mean, yeah. they can experiment, but not as a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, temporarily, temporarily, or even better, unpredictably, <laughs> it would be good. I was like, I swear it was a call box when I left it. <laughs> hey, did you know that they are? You know, I was very excited to see that they were going to be showing. Uh, the 50th anniversary special in uh, theaters in the UK. Yeah. Turns out they're going to be showing it here in the US as well. Yeah, as well yes. as the rest, as well as the rest of the world, mate. That's right. Okay, great. Um, you know, they're they're going to be showing it. Uh, you know, uh, here in the US, I know on the 23rd, and also uh, an encore performance in way more theaters on the 25th. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of gutted because I tried to get a ticket today, but they'd sold out at my local cinema. So. Well, you know what's what's interesting is now that it's going to be in the cinemas here, um, that means two things. One, it could actually show up in box office results, although it probably won't because it's only in three three hundred theaters. But technically speaking, Day of the Doctor will be eligible, I believe, for the Oscars. Board. Yeah. Now I doubt that will happen, but. 
How cool would that be? Oh god. It might get one for effects. <laughs> that, yeah, it could. It could. The question is, will they... Well, you know, it's going to be long enough. It would be a movie. Mm, yeah. yeah, 70 minutes. Yeah, 70 minutes. That's long enough. It's not a short, you know. Mm-hmm. It would be that now. How cool would that be? It would be awesome. It that would be. would be awesome. It's just a it's, you know seventy minutes. So is an extended TV episode now because to be a movie, it's you know something's got to be you know running for at least a two and a half to two hours and forty five minutes. Oh, no, there's, the movie pl- there's plenty days. of short movies. There's plenty mm. of short movies. Technically speaking, that's long enough to be a movie. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm just sort of like uh, being pedantic because uh, <laughs> cur- cur- current day movie makers haven't heard this uh, thing called editing. <laughs> true, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, you know, and because, you know, when since when in recent decades have we had a blockbuster movie that's, so, that's just come in at just under two hours or come in at an, at an hour and a half? I don't know. Exactly. It's not. I don't think that's actually happened since the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a good it's a good question. But you know, even Star Wars was two hours and one minute long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That that could have done with being about uh, you know forty five minutes shorter if you're talking about the prequel movies. <laughs> or, you no, know, I'm talking about the original. <laughs> oh, the, the original. I won't. I won't contest the original. But the prequel movies, you know, sort of like uh, that should have been two movies. Yeah. You know. You yeah, probably. It didn't need. It didn't need to be three movies. You know. Yeah. Just get rid of the. Just try. get rid of the. Just get rid of Jake Lloyd as Anakin Skywalker <laughs> and the ridiculous pod race and and the whole Jar Jar Binks. But there you go. But final thoughts on Dot Who before the special guest tomorrow night. Oh, good lord. Let's see here. Well, I guess to recap, I would like nods to the classic series. I would like to please see interiors. Um, I would love to actually have nods to Doctor Who number eight, Paul McGann. That might be pipe dream. I don't know. Um, how about you? Um, I would. I would very much, as far as uh, as far as nods to the classic series. I absolutely want an acknowledgement of Sarah Jane. Oh God, yes, yes. Uh, it doesn't. You know, they don't have to say that she's dead. That would, that would uh, hurt too much. I would actually prefer they didn't. Yeah, I mean, just just an acknowledgement of you know maybe eleven, even even John Hurt, any any one of the three of them, just acknowledging that she existed and that he really cared about her. Um, yeah. I have a petition at salutesarahjanesmith.com. Anybody wants to go sign it, please go sign it. Of course, it's a little late at this point, I suppose, but um, I, I, that's that is what I want to see uh, as far as uh, that. And as I said, I would like us to hearken back to what happened on Gallifrey before he left. That's that's what I'd like to see um, going back to the old series. Because you're right. That my 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 biggest pet peeve about that is that they've spent so much time in the classic series and the new establishing that the Doctor is not a self-sufficient creature. He is just not self-sufficient. And yet, for some reason, he managed to stay alive long enough to get Susan into her teams, at which point she started taking care of him. So how did he, how did he function during her formative years? <laughs> I, have, I have a theory. I have a theory. I have a theory. Here's my... Here's my Here's my fanfic-inspired theory. Uh, he he didn't want to get married in the first place, didn't know he had a kid, found Susan when she was, you know, a teenager, and she was just as unhappy being stifled by Gallifrey as he was. 
And he said, you know what? Let's go. And he just took her away. That's my that's my theory. <laughs> my, my, my fanfic theory is a little bit darker, is that um, going back to that whole looking at, looking at the vortex and, and inspiring or, or running or going mad, um, that in Gallifreyan society there's a, a segment of the population that is genetically predisposed to going mad. Ooh. And they discovered that that's Susan, but that they won't, but that they won't give her an exemption. Oh, and, and, I love that. And the doctor, he won't take the risk. And so, rather than rather than risk it, shortly before her eighth birthday, he bundles her off and runs. Mm-hmm. That's, I that's cool. love that. That that's cool because that that, that actually makes sense. It's a, it's a parent or a grandparent, you know, protecting the child. Yeah. And, and, I love it, Raisa. Yeah, yeah. And I have fanfic to that, but... Um... I'd um, think what I'd like to see, I'd like to see, uh, as ever, more nods to the classic series. And uh, I know we're going to get those because uh, Stephen, it's impossible for Stephen Moffat to write anything without nodding to the classic series. He, he's so like, he'd done it a hang of a lot more than um, Russell T. Davis ever did. Yes. Um, but moving forward, beyond... Um, beyond the anniversary, I'd love to see um, the ultimate uh, loose plot thread uh, picked up involving the Doctor's daughter. Oh, Jenny! Oh, yes, Jenny. God love her. Because, she, she would be fun. Because we've got we've got her running around, and um, she 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 regenerated or whatever, but she didn't regenerate and change form for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which maybe could be argued that she wasn't fully mature. Yes. Um, so, you know, whether she, whether they bring her back as a different actress um, because she's regenerated or whatnot, I, I'd just love to see Jenny again. Yes, that would be fun. And, and that's sort of picked up on. Yeah. If we're gonna go, if we're gonna go with loose plot threads, the the loose plot thread that drives me nuts is uh, the two years of Jack's memory that the time agency stole. They never got. They never dealt with that. Not never even. dealt with it. Right. No. They alluded to it at various yeah. points in various media, but they never actually dealt with it. And I think I think I think they they, they kept thinking they would have more time to do it in another, in another series. And then it just never got around to it. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to see that get picked up. Well, yes. um, you know, um, I, I, I think another loose plot thread I think need to pick up is uh, Captain John's infatuation with poodles. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> you know, just, just what's going on. I missed go- something somewhere. Just what's going oh. on there? <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're talking about James Marsters. Yes. His, his character was infatuated I, with poodles. Is it- <laughs> yeah. I. I didn't pick that one up. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a very quick scene. They're, they're driving in torchwood, uh, torchwood vehicle. Oh, oh, I remember. And now. he looks out the window. Sort of was, with What's that? You know? <laughs> it's all like, <laughs> um, I'd like to see that picked up. You know, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to find out what that was all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of like, uh, did, did did him did working for the agency put him into contact with a uh, with with, with um, a mysterious alien race that resemble poodles or something or, or, or yeah. is it just that he just likes is it just that he's uh, he, he's got a thing for a uh, for, 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 for um very weird looking dogs <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think that's probably uh i think that's the i think I think that's actually the dog that's broke the camel's back uh yeah that was a bad pun <laughs> it was but anyway all right um i think i think my final thought is is still jenny i want to see uh, i want to see jenny come back 
I want to see Jack come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and although so much weirdness happened in, in Miracle Day and, and Children of Earth, that if, if he's going to come back, they need to find some way to acknowledge it. Agreed. Agreed. That, that, that doesn't turn it into a sob fest, but still acknowledges it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably is good, a good, 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 good point to end on. Yeah. So I'd like to thank uh, Pat who sort of like left us about an hour ago. Um, Nick, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, Raisa. Um, but that comes that that draws to a close. Our dot two special. Um, hope everyone enjoyed it, and um, we hope everyone enjoys the uh, special episode tomorrow evening when it airs. And um, so we, we're going to dematerialize now. So um, that's it, and good night.